0: Jess hey how are you good how are you okay okay busy as always yes um, I know everything. um thank you so much for making time this is so exciting because it's been so long and you were like one of the first people on my list for sure have you been able to listen well, to the podcast cool. at all that's cool
1: um, you know what? I listened to um, an episode with um, a girl who, uh, who I know actually, oh. uh, who went to school at Dallas High. Oh, Adrian! Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. Oh, that's yeah, So, cool. so
1: yeah, we uh, we always referred to her by like her local nickname. So I was like, oh yeah, Adrian. That's it. <laughs> but <laughs> that's um, so yeah, cool. so so that
0: was pretty cool. Nice. Cool to hear what she's up
1: to and love to hear, like, the cool successes she's had. I love
0: that. So, yeah, it's so weird because we lived, like, a block away for a long time in Philly, and we never knew each other, and then we moved to Boyertown, both of us, and we found each other, and it was really nice. She's very, very nice, and a breath of fresh air around here. So I love Adrian so much. So welcome back to Big Mama Hex. We're back from a little break, and this is episode 39, and I'm sitting down with Jess McPherson, And Jess is someone that I know through social media and we mutually have followed each other for a few years now. Um, I'm not really sure how we found each other, but I'm assuming through Pennsylvania Dutch um, connections somehow. But um, Jess is an amazing person. I know of her work that she's involved in, again, through social media. But I can't wait to learn more about Jess and also for you listeners to hear more about Jess and all the things she does and her background. Um, and I think we should just get started. Welcome, Jess. Thanks so much for coming.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited I'm,
0: to have a conversation. Absolutely. I'm so excited. So let's just start at the beginning. Um, I lived in Baltimore for about five years and I know you work in Baltimore, but do you live in York? Like, can you tell us a little bit about where you are living now and where you grew up and sort of that regional background?
1: Yeah. So right now I live, um, sort of in East York, Pennsylvania. So York County, Pennsylvania, um, really recently, maybe two or three years ago, I moved closer to the city, uh, for travel and like thinking about, you know, um, any additional career paths or um, community service that I wanted to do in the arts community in York. Um, I grew up in uh, just south of Winterstown, Pennsylvania in North Hopewell Township. Um, So Winterstown is uh, very far south in the county, um, kind of like right down 83. Um, So for me, uh, jumping on 83 and heading to Baltimore for work uh, was was an easy, um, was an easy goal. Um, I work currently as, uh, the finance director for, uh, an urban Indian health program, which serves American Indians and Alaska Natives in the Baltimore and Boston regions. Um, but before that, and I think primarily, um, I'm, I'm an artist and a former gallery director. So I used to work, uh, as a gallery director in York, Pennsylvania. Um, my family comes from, I would say, uh, southern New york county is the, probably the most general way i can put it um my that's where i grew up my uh grandmother's family came from uh around the seven valleys area and her family came from out in uh, hanover and littlestown area um so uh um, yeah i think yeah they're all you're
0: areas right. i'm like I grew up in Lower Bucks County, I know Philly really well, and now I know Bucks County, but I'm like, it's all, you know, but I did live in Baltimore, and I know, like, York is pretty, pretty close, but I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but what were you saying about now? I'm sorry.
1: Oh, no, 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 that's right, yeah, York is, like, 45 minutes north of Baltimore, and 45 minutes south of Harrisburg, so it's kind of right in the middle there, about an hour west of Lancaster, and... Uh, you know, another hour further to Philly. Um, But yeah, so it was just uh, uh, sort of running that out by saying, I'm working right now in social impact strategy and more specifically in arts and culture strategy. Uh, So I'm really interested in the ways that um, the arts and engaging in culture as a uh, a sort of tool to provide more resilience factors in our lives, but also uh, to make, just in general, make us stronger people. I think when we connect ourselves to our ancestors, um, it makes us stronger.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's,
1: that's so, um,
0: yeah, no, so
1: um, that's, when I saw uh, your work, I was really excited about it, because I think, not enough younger people are working in the area of sort of cultural arts in in our Pennsylvania German community so I think that's really awesome
0: so well hey thank you so that. much and thanks for calling me younger people because I'm feeling so old now there was like a huge shift I just turned 40 and it was like definitely a shift I don't know I think it's just the whole covid situation it's just aged us a lot you know Um, like you know we're not getting around as much we're not getting out into the nature as much into the nature but you know it's just it's been tricky but um i really appreciate your words it kind of i jumped on the train and it was already moving so fast i just can't get off i just love it so much and i can't like i want to just keep evolving and growing and similar to you um you know i have an art background but I also art education and it's really important for me to use uh, the tools that I have and the knowledge that I have about how much of an impact visual images can make, um, and dance and entertainment or music—you know—all of these things that can impact so heavily, especially when you're talking about social justice or change or the evolution of our of our country and our and our world globally. I think an image has so much impact, so. I really, that resonates so much with me, the work that you do. And I guess I'm at a point now where I have like sat back and listened a lot. And I've learned so much in the last couple of years. I'm really excited. Um, I'll be interviewing a um millennial. And she's like this, this really wildly intense, like feminist and like on the road, like we all sort of probably came from that time, like in the 90s and stuff, we had like that kind of energy. And it's just like, I feel I'm feeding the, they're feeding me like with their energy. I don't know if you have a similar sort of experience, but um, their energy is really feeding me to keep, keep going and persevere, even though it can be so daunting and, and feel so hopeless. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I am right now. So I've listened a lot and I'm sort of like, well, what do I do with, because, you know, probably similar to you, I found myself in like a very strange place within the Pennsylvania Dutch culture or within the Pennsylvania Dutch heritage and the current culture and the past culture and you know my mom totally like turned away from it and didn't want anything to do with it in the like 70s and 60s 70s 80s um I want to reclaim it and the parts that are important to us and I'm you know Patrick Dunmore who you may have heard of and I have talked about this extensively and and where do we kind of fit in and and what do we leave behind but like acknowledge it's just a really really tough time right now because um you know we want to we want to do better and be better and still um continue this uh very important work but i'm sort of in that place right now where i'm trying to gain from other people um sort of knowledge about you know how can we move forward and and make things sort of um include everyone and be very inclusive um so it's tricky and especially living in berks county and sort of Facing a lot of that old old style of thinking, it's just a tricky place to be, you know. So, I'm I'm interested in 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 hearing more about you know. I know you're Pennsylvania Dutch, and um, did you share with us? I'm sorry, I was like looking at your Facebook and looking at writing down a couple things that you wanted to definitely touch on. Did you share what tribe you are? So um, I I
1: identify as a Susquehanna Indian. I don't there aren't uh tribes as political entities um very much in this area anymore and most of my family and relatives would rather continue on a path of fitting in and and not sort of try to do that reconnecting which it sounds very much like you're trying to do with you know your your Pennsylvania uh, Dutchiness um (laughs) and that's that's hard it can be isolating but I work um, within a larger community of Native people who, you know, live here, um, who live, you know, work with people all, all over the Mid-Atlantic, and so, right. um, ultimately, this is the place that I'm from, and, right. um, so, to identify as a Susquehanna Indian, to bring that element of history back to the conversation, mm-hmm. um, to my best understanding, to my understanding, uh, I would say my family are Shawnee, um, descendants, gotcha. but, um, my contemporary identity is, is such.
0: So. Right, and that's a really good point too because it's not like we can get from point A to point F without going through the other parts. So it's kind of like, as much as I envision, you know, a place where, it, it's just, it's it's super complicated and there's so much intersectionalities. <laughs> and like, that's why I really wanted to talk to you because I feel like we have that in common for sure. Like I'm also, Um, Welsh, and I don't know what else I am, who knows, but um, I know that it's been tricky because I've felt just growing up in the 90s and being um, a feminist and, you know, like, I was involved in, like, ska culture and punk culture and it was, like, anti-racist action and, like, Nazis were, like, fuck Nazis and stuff and all that stuff and, like, it's just hard to then be interested in this and having not grown up here and have, like, this pushback like, oh, you know you know, German is equated with, Pennsylvania Dutch is equated with Nazis, and it's just hard to navigate sometimes, because I feel like I'm in the middle of all these different things that were really important to me, and it's just, I'm making my own path, and luckily, I haven't had too much resistance that I know of, but, um, it's tricky, and, you know, um, like kind of looking differently than people typically do at events and stuff and like identifying like I identify as bisexual although I don't even know if that's like a relevant term anymore because it's so like (laughs) old-fashioned if you make it relevant (laughs) like I was thinking about in the shower today I was like well I'm just like I'm learning so much like I said I'm learning so much from young people and I love their energy and I just like just in the time that we've been alive like I'm assuming you're probably similar age to me um that I just feel like there's been so much yeah, change and yeah, and like good stuff, but also not to get ahead of it and feel like it's all done, but also like very moving to see so much change like happen for for women and for LGBTQ. And it's just been, it's just been incredible. And I would have never felt comfortable saying that like 10 or 20 years ago, you know? And I feel like yeah. there is so much support now. And I always felt really um, insecure about that and like, I don't know. So it's, it's a really interesting time and a very exciting time, but I'm sure, you know, working, especially having lived in Baltimore, it must be, there's a lot of challenges too. And York, um, I know Adrian and I have talked a lot about York. So how do you stay so strong, Jess? Like, what do you, how do you fill your cup? Like, is it art? Like, how do you continue to persevere when it must be daunting doing the kind of work you're doing because it's, it's just, it's a lot. And there's so many different things going on at once, you know, like how to stay focused.
1: Yeah, it's tremendously difficult. I mean, right now I'm working in the area of like nonprofit finance, which is not like my first language for sure. Um, (laughs) But, you know, but, you know, growing up, um, I feel like that kind of like, Pennsylvania German mentality uh, of that like farmer mentality almost of like, mm-hmm. there's a thing that needs done. And so I'm going to get it done.
0: Yes. There's um, a need. So yep. I, I was
1: working in, that community. yeah, I was working in that community and I, I had a skill. I knew I could do it. Nobody was doing it It needed done or the thing would disappear. And so I stepped yes. in. Um, and so in that way, it's rewarding. And I feel like in that sense, I'm, you know, honoring that part of who I am and who I've been taught to be. Um, but yeah my real uh my real life is like as an artist and uh, you know like a, a strategist you know a thinker um and and so trying to keep that balance trying to uh, to move the needle back towards center and kind of um you know reincorporate art making um make time for it make like emotional and and mental headspace for it yeah because especially working um in a a public health agency during a pandemic you, you know with um for an underserved community is an awesome time for um funding to be available for us to really uh provide services and support to our community but um it is a super challenge when mm. our, you know our organization is small and capacity is small, and like I have a limited amount of skills there, and though I build them and and they can grow um that's a challenge, so making sure that I'm making space in my life to be out in nature, space in my life to you know think about drawing something even mm. um' it's really, really important,
0: yeah. That's such a good point too because I I have taken jobs like that before and I found them actually kind of refreshing like short term to use that part of your brain when you're no- normally using um what is it your right brain is creative right and your left brain's like logical I think <laughs> Don't worry. whichever one you know what I'm saying like I always tell people and this is something that I use in interviews all the time when I'm definitely not qualified for the position like I just recently was offered like an HR position totally not for me I just was like stressed out that I was going to run out of like um work with artwork like to support support myself and my family and all but I said you know creative creative people find solutions and don't you think um, yeah. with your background it, and being a creative person you can look at things so differently I mean even just approaching like how to get more people to come into this museum that I was applying to be a museum educator for it's like just having the solutions of like a visual perspective like oh this would really grab their attention I think it just it shifts like the perspective where people that don't use that side of their brain like really hadn't thought of it so I think it's also kind of even though you may feel a lot of times and I always do that, you know, I'm maybe not as qualified as somebody next to me or whatever, but like I bring a whole different like framework and lens to look through and approach these, these problems that need solutions, because I'll tell you what, like once you've been a teacher and I know you're a teacher too and have taught art and stuff like, and don't have supplies and you come up with ways to like bring that art to the kids and, and just figure it out. Like there's nothing you can't do, you know, I mean, clearly there's stuff you can't do, but you know what like within reason but I always think that's really interesting when creative people end up in positions like that.
1: Yeah I think you know I attribute all of my success in our and I've been doing it for six years now and and helped our organization to grow sort of exponentially I wow. attribute all of my success to my training as an artist because what it really is uh to be a trained artist is to learn to see and so yeah. while like the product of my work is you know pieces of artwork that you can see really the training is learning to observe to see to understand yes. these things and if you that's just a skill that is so important and it, it's so versatile and really flexible
0: yeah and when I was
1: in art school they said yeah, they said, you know, you can do anything with this degree. They didn't bother to tell you what it might be. Right. <laughs> and, and I was really frustrated with that for a long time, but it's very, very true, you know? It true. is
0: so true. It's very, very true. And even down to just like, you know, I went to grad school for for um, uh, whatever they call it now, communication design, is graphic design, basically. And now I can't unsee like, like typography and letting and like, I can't unsee it. It's just so interesting because it's almost like, Literally, you're training your brain to look at things and deconstruct things in a totally different way than most people see things. And I find it so fascinating, especially like with, you know, more like our age group and how we've been doing it now for so long that it's so second nature. And now it is time for us sort of to like, not give up doing art, but sort of use that that really keen sense of, of deconstructing or like coming up with creative solutions in ways to benefit more people which i always say like i always talk about ethical design or ethical art like like i've said no to a couple things where i just felt like you know this is maybe on the fence of something that would be offensive to my myself or, or people that i care for um so not with with not even knowing it wasn't overt, i just went with like my gut and said like no you know but it's really tough but i think that's a really good point and i just want to ask you too just i'm not like i've seen your artwork on on facebook and stuff but what is your primary um Medium that you like to use, or what's your primary art form that you like to do? Um, I've seen some really gorgeous stuff, and I know you had set up an easel, so. Yeah, yeah. I
1: was so super <laughs> excited
0: to get an easel back out. That was a beautiful uh, shot. For,
1: uh, <laughs> for a number of years, um, I have been working in um, thread work, which is more of a, a contemporary uh, kind of Native American um, like. Uh, medium um you'll see it on regalia on dance bustles on fans and things like that but um i had like i wanted to make it accessible to people so i incorporated it into jewelry um that was made sort of with machine parts and things that reminded me of my my industrial york county kind of heritage and um well it's kind of a way to meld those things and then also like working through it as a way to um to process um, some grief and some you know, relationships I lost and, and just try to kind of work that out for myself. And, and that's, no matter what the medium is, that's kind of the thing that I'm always doing, kind of uh, trying to figure out what it is that I'm thinking or feeling by letting yes. that work kind of guide me. Um, yeah. I love most of all to be doing charcoal drawings on like a good piece of paper. I love that oh, thing, yeah dragging the charcoal yeah. across the um Oh my gosh, that was my yeah, jam, so, yeah. I mean, whatever, it is, <laughs> whatever it is that kind of fits the, the feeling that I'm trying to get out is, is what I'll use. I've done oil painting, um, I've done um, uh, found object installation which was really rewarding. Um, oh yeah. And, you know, I've done uh, work and thread work and um all sorts of different craft mediums as well
0: yeah so have I and I don't know what your yeah, background so is I have- sorry I was just gonna say I don't know if oh, I was just gonna say anything. have a website oh nice yeah cool <laughs> we're oh, tell, tell us Go. about that I was just gonna ask you if you were art education because you kind of like learned to work in many different mediums and and you know like if you go into fine art they're like no 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 you can't do that or graphic design they're like no you can only have one thing that you can offer and I'm like no I'm gonna offer what I offer you know but tell us about your website do you have a website I was, trying to, uh, I was always trying to kind of push
1: um my instructors in, in school to like uh, it might be a painting class, but I want to build this. And then there's a little part that I'm going to paint on, you know, yes. so it's always kind of challenging uh, folks like that. I'm sure it wasn't, um, uh, I'm sure it was frustrating for them, but um, that's a thing that, you know, ultimately made me a, a, a student that they wanted to teach because I was trying to push, yes. trying to push myself, trying to challenge the medium, trying to do all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, so I was saying, um, I have an ancient website that hasn't been updated forever, but if you want to see some of my fine art, you can look at it at jessmcpherson.com.
0: Okay, cool. So I'll make sure to link that. Um, yeah, we definitely want to see that. It's so funny. I did the same thing. I think, you know, professors wanted to work with us probably because we were such hard workers. And, you know, at the end of the day, even though super frustrating, like, you know, I remember sort of having, it felt more like um, camaraderie with my professors than really being taught. I was like an older student too, because I was a single mom, so it's a little different for me. But, um, you know, even still when I was undergrad, it's just like that work ethic. And I guess, like you mentioned the Pennsylvania Dutch, I guess that's sort of where it came from for me because it was definitely like that side of my family with the work ethic. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. I just don't have any other modes. like. I saw that you um recently had a vacation. I was like, oh man, I hope Jess is like legit relaxing because I will like, you know, when you're, well, when you're self-employed, it's really hard because you don't ever leave the office. And it's like, I force myself to take time off and the whole time, like I'm thinking about it, you know, it's really tricky. And sometimes it, it's definitely like a negative and I force myself to do fun things. Like just sitting for a movie with like my middle child, like it's really tough for me <laughs> because I want to be up and like, using all the time I have but it's so valuable and so important to, to spend that time with people and I was looking through your Facebook yesterday and our last night and noticed some of the old images from um I think it was the same place that you're working for now where you were doing like um more educational programming and and how, how much you, got, you almost really miss that being with the kids and stuff and I know um somebody shared that they loved having their kids come and work with you. And I know for me, I'm really missing that too. So I know that must be really tough to not be able to be as open as before, but are there are things evolving in a way that you guys feel like it'll be more open?
1: We've been doing a lot of um, virtual programming for oh, kids, nice. which has been pretty good. Um, we have, um, yeah, a number of kids who have been in, like involved like more in depth than we were able to do sort of when we were in person even. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But um, I do miss being in person and I miss doing that programming. Um, Yeah. As you know, in all sort of areas of social impact, like you have to respond to the needs of the community. And so um, what From the time where I started teaching um, arts in the culture program at Lifelines in like 2012 to um, the time where I decided to take the job uh, doing the finance work, um, we saw sort of a shift in the needs in the community. There were initially um, kids who had uh, families with more parental involvement, Mm -hmm. more accountability, more more support, more stability in their lives. at two, you know, we had a, a, a group of like a, a sort of, I don't want to say a generation because they're a little bit younger than the other kids, but you know, not that far, but um, a group of kids who just had a lot more um, intense needs. Mm. And so the way that we were teaching them and the, the, the projects we were doing um, needed to adapt to the yeah. you know, things that they needed and the pace that they needed. yeah. Um, so it's been really interesting to sort of see and be able to respond in that way um although you know for me in my heart will always be like my first class of students where you know this is the stuff we were doing and i was testing it out and they were testing it out yes
0: <laughs> i love some that. me and thank goodness <laughs> but <laughs> you know it's but, so you know. empowering too for kids to have that sort of influence on a teacher to have it be more of a collaboration it's so powerful And, you know, that's kind of um, talk about ethics. Like I had to leave public school teaching, even though it's like, you know, you have like the um, security and the paycheck and blah, 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 and the benefits and the retirement. But ethically, it was so, you know, being an art teacher in public school in Philly, like it was just ethically very challenging because they weren't, they didn't care about delivering the arts to the kids. And it was so, so broken. And it's just, it's so tough, but I know what you mean. I loved the same as you like those those exchanges with kids where I had the freedom to like oh we're designing this curriculum oh the the," basically I was like a babysitter for the school district they didn't care what I did so we did really cool stuff and I said to them like what are you guys into because they came in the door with like no art background at all like some of them they couldn't like cut properly and things like that you know fine motor skills and stuff but it was really it was a wild and exciting year and it was my first year just like you're saying um in Philly, like strawberry mansion and the kids were amazing and it was really tough because they closed their school and it was just so heartbreaking, you know, because it was, it was just so like, I thought, geez, I'm never going to see these kids again. And it, it was just really, really tough. So it's so challenging, but it, it does make a huge impact, you know, especially when you give kids respect and treat them like they're humans and they have a stake in this all. And it's really, they're so important to, certainly the evolution of, of all the things that we're discussing today, but, um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. I miss my kids a lot. I miss the students a lot, so I can't wait to yeah. be back in it real, real good. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely miss at this time, like, uh, I used to do a lot of
1: workshops, yeah. like adults or, or, you know, older kids or things like that. Um, and yeah, I, I for sure miss that. We're trying to do um, a little bit more of that, you know, to easing back in. I think. Um, yeah, I'll be doing yeah. like a little craft, a little craft fair next weekend, and hopefully oh, I'll be doing some nice. stuff and show people some things. So.
0: Oh, that's so we'll cool! Um, and and what is the what is the website for? Um, do you have like a website, or is it best to go on Facebook to find you guys to get involved? Or come out to like the craft fair and stuff is it open to the public um for Native American lifelines we do have public
1: events okay uh, cool. in this area I would say yeah check our Facebook it's updated most often it's okay. Native American lifelines of Baltimore um because like I said before we have two offices so this one is sure. Baltimore um okay, cool and Uh, I would say the other classes that I'm doing in the Native community are with um, Circle Legacy Center and you can find stuff about Circle Legacy Center either on their Facebook page or um, at circlelegacycenter.com. The other place that I work with that I think is an, I I love doing it because I think it's an interesting um, intersection uh, of, of, you know, Pennsylvania German or Swiss German culture and native culture is, um, I don't know if you're familiar at all with um, the Hans Herrhausen Museum in Lancaster. It mm-hmm. is uh, like a, um, it's a, it's a museum part of uh, like a project of the Lancaster Mennonite Historical Society.
0: Uh-huh. I so think I've heard a, of it. A very
1: old um, homestead. It's really cool. They have a very old homestead there that's beautiful and they do lots of teaching and sort of, Um, cultural preservation stuff around that and um, on that site many years ago now again their grand opening was in 2013 um, they built a longhouse to um, the specifications of one that was excavated um, here in uh, in Lancaster County actually along the Susquehanna Um, and although the time period that they're interpreting is not the time period where this kind of longhouse would be it's meant to really educate people on what uh, what that intersection means. And it comes out of efforts between, from, um, the, like the plain community, uh, their efforts at honor and healing with the native community. Yeah. Because, you know, although they felt like, you know, maybe they were taking a pacifist role, that certainly does not absolve them of the horrors and damage that they allowed to happen to yes. their neighbors, to their friends.
0: And, yeah. and that's the reality of that. So. Wow, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's really, that's interesting. And that's sort of like what I'm kind of grasping for is like some kind of, not like you can ever right the wrong, but some kind of um moving forward, just like an acknowledgement and like how can we help support this community that that was caused so much um, uh, terror. Like, I don't even know how to like put it into words. I know in our area, um, like the Nilo- Lenape were very, Present here and I know you know my family is a of the Fisher house homestead whatever um like we were here like I go back to the Turks Daniel Boone like all of these people or whatever and and it's hard for me because I don't really know the history and it's not probably written about anyway even if I did read it right so it's just it's hard for me because um just as like a person who's very open like spiritually even though as corny as that is uh you know, I've always been really drawn to, like, um, the Native American spirituality and, like, you know, the mother and the father, you know, Mother Earth, Father Sky. And it's always been so palpable for me. But I also didn't want to ever um, be disrespectful or, like, appropriate it. But I always, like, like secretly in the closet, I'm always very, very much drawn to that. And even, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, let me think, her name, Pat. Pat McCabe, have you heard of her? Pat McCabe is, I'm um, sure. she's um, known as Woman Stands Shining, um, and she was on a, a podcast with Sharon Blackie, who's somebody who does a lot with Celtic, um, like Celtic spirit, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like archetypes and stuff like that, but she had her on, and this was a fascinating conversation, and, um, and then I also follow someone named Rain Dove, are you familiar with? No. All right. She's um a trans model. I think she goes by she/her. I think um I'm I'm pretty sure or they them. And she also grew up like very in in a native community with her mother, and they talk a lot about um sort of like the relationship to women and menstruation, which is so powerful to me because I've always had this like strange not strange not strange for me but strange for like other people like. Um, connectedness to menstruation and the process and feeling very empowered by it. And I never really like could understand why. And then I'm reading this stuff and hearing Pat McCabe talk about it. And I was like, oh my God, this is like legit how I feel about this. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. And I don't know how much of that is just, I absorbed a lot. Like I said, my mom totally said goodbye, Pets Veda. She was very interested in Native American spirituality. And it was definitely an influence on us. Um, but you know, as I got older and learned about appropriation and things like that, you know, you always want to be respectful and honor um, that this is sacred for people that have the lineage. But I mean, can you speak to that at all? Because I know um, when Pat McCabe was interviewed by Sharon Blackie, they talked about how people in North America are really drawn to this spirituality and and you know, you know, just like navigating that and how how um, like I don't know it's weird because when I visited the Fisher house there's a spring house and that was the first one built or whatever and they had told me that they had to make sure it was super secure because you know that they had some problems and I don't know if it was like I know they talk about the French and Indian war a lot in this area but you don't know if the information is actually correct and like you know which side our ancestors fell on it's just it's really hard to like um navigate I guess is a good word for it and how do you feel with with the two sides of your heritage, how does that come together for you? And how do you, do you feel conflict about it? Or do you feel, you know, maybe there was a lot more um, of blending of families that we just don't realize because not everybody's going out and doing ancestry.com. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm curious about that. And I'm wondering if you know more about that, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing
1: to speak to the, point that you made about people in North America being like sort of very drawn to yes. um, that sort of archetype that, that generalized Native American uh, culture or, or spirituality. I think that comes from just a lot of Americans like putting down their own traditions and their own, their own yes. ways of being or ways of knowing mm-hmm. to fit in to 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 you know make a path for themselves here, and I think um, I think that creates a lot of desire to to reconnect to something because it, yes. you know, it's it's fra- still it's it's still there that like in the Native community we talk often about this idea of historical trauma and the, mm-hmm. the stuff that carries in our DNA from you know the, the things that have uh, happened in our lives and I think that's the same for our, our, our ancestors coming from. Like war-torn, you know, yes. Germany, yeah, and and in, in the 1700s, you know, um, it, I think that's that's all sort of the same thing. But the thing that comes along with that is you have to remember that there is also you also are carrying that ancestral wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. That resilience that got those mm-hmm. people all the way through to you. And so, doing the work to connect to your to yourself, to your own histories, to your own I, that one of the things that I really appreciate about your work is I feel like you're, you're digging deeper into that, um, further back less like, uh, Lutheran or Mm. whatever, um, um, religion and, and and further back into that, the the truer, um, the truer teachings of our ancestors there. And that's, that intersection and where they're sort of hybridized, I feel like is where our Pennsylvania German ancestors come from. It's really much more of a hybrid of yes. that understanding of pagan traditions yes. and sort of like layering over it with Christian traditions because mm-hmm. this is where we're at now and everybody's finding us. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. But, right? <laughs> but so I think that um, I think that's a really important a space to be in and a a space to work in, but also like just to understand um, that that is a thing for so many people. Culture Mm -hmm. loss is so, you know, like the work that um, Doug Maidenford is doing with Mm -hmm. language preservation. That's happening now because just now we're losing that, you know, just with my parents and your parents' generations or our grandparents' generations. You know, my my grandmother, you know, everyone around her spoke like Pennsylvania Dutch, but she really did not, like she knew the words they were saying, but didn't really know uh, what they meant anymore. You know, right. and so going to, um, you know, going to school and, and in a climate that was very sort of anti-German makes you kind of suppress mm-hmm. those things. So thinking about those, all of those historical factors that happen in you know our, our past generations are Important in understanding where we are and how we can mend that going forward. Um, so yeah, I just think that stuff is really important.
0: Yeah, that was a whole lot to unpack. I apologize, <laughs> but it's like it's hard for I, me. I to put, <laughs> it's it's hard for me to put into words, I guess, what what I mean. And I'm sure that you understood what I was trying to say. But um, you know, I don't ever want to sound like just an ignorant person. But there is not much information about these like sort of nuances, and also, you know, how much of our, um, lives and, and, and our way of life were influenced by the natives that were in, in our area when we settled, you know, I mean, certainly yeah. like as far as plants go and like having, um, knowledge about plants and, and, um, what the heck is the word? I, I'm totally Right. <laughs> using, using plants for medicinal purposes, um, herbology, uh, things like that certainly must have, you know, we came from a totally different place, but I guess I guess, I, I guess I'm just in a place personally in my life where I'm just like, okay, well, like my mom's generation, maybe she was drawn to it because she, you know, in that time period, it was like the melting pot. And I talk about that a lot where it was like, well, we're just going to raise our kids to be American. And, and that will like dismantle all the wrongs that have been done. And that's not how it works, baby. Like not for against my, my parents or, or their generation, but um like acknowledgement is a great first step, but just, you know, and then appropriating somebody's spirituality in 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 order to like resolve the conflict or the wrongdoing is also like, in my opinion, definitely like dishonorable or possibly offensive, you know. But um, yeah, you know it's they didn't know. Yeah, exactly, you and know, and that's the like thing. Like I'm so appreciative of it, and I feel like it's so strange how like I've always had this thing. Like it's it's really like I don't really talk about it, but you know, I feel like this is a safe space to talk about it. And it's just like this thing, this like, really like, not like, not like an obsession, but like a fascination with menstruation. And when I heard this woman talking about it, I was like, holy shit. And then Rain Dove talked about it. And I was like, holy shit, because she had this whole ad campaign where she, um, I, I'm pretty sure her pronoun is she. And if it's not, I'll go back and fix it but um, I want to actually reach out to her and tell her what huge impact she's had on me. She's an incredible person. Um, you should check her out. Just the work she's doing. Uh, she's a model, but she's also doing a ton of work, but she has this whole campaign where she presents like as male, but then she has like um, blood on her, uh, what do they called? Boxer briefs or whatever. And it's really fascinating. And talk about like a powerful image. I just, I don't know. I have like a thing with um, yeah. menstruation and like, and it kind creates of, using, a of like, yeah, creates a lot of like, that creates a lot of terror in our contemporary yeah. society. And right? I don't want to freak in a, you out if you're like yeah, totally no, like.
1: a society, it creates a lot of, um,
0: They can't handle this it. Comfort, yeah, right?
1: it's, yeah, it's too powerful. It's like insane, and but, um, so, yeah, yeah, so I, I think where you're getting is like asking sort of how that relates in, in indigenous culture. And so, you know, um, while I can't speak for every tribe and every nation and all the teachings, I'll say that sort of um, the way I understand and, and the way that um, I have been talked to about it, is it, it you know, in a, in a view you understand sort of reciprocity and cyclical um, relationships, Mm. it it makes much more sense right and yes. and if you understand um your self in a um you sort of matriarchal culture then you understand that like women are life givers and so um I I think that um you know a lot of the ways that I've been talked to about it are kind of um what can I say um this like from a patriarchal view, you will see this as something that, like, you're supposed to be over here because you're dirty, you're gross, it's yes. whatever. Yeah. From a matriarchal perspective, your power is so great, you you will interrupt everyone else's power. You you have to sort of give everyone space at that time. Yeah. extremely sacred, you know, something that's really really important. And um, I yeah, I understand that. I I think like well, when I was in the Adult, I uh, I had a friend who like who could not menstruate and I thought oh my god what is what, what would I, like what would I do for as much as like it's it interrupts like the normal yeah. life of things you yeah know, um, it, it I, what would I do you're you like, I felt like oh my god she's broken and that's a yeah like, not a feeling I want to or put on to anybody but it was a weird realization for me to to understand that oh my gosh this is a fundamental thing that i think is really important yeah, yeah. it's very
0: true yeah so, for sure yeah. so uh, yeah and I, I think it's just it comes so under, down to just, it's really yeah, yeah and i think it's like um just just honoring it as as this this amazing miraculous thing that we do um, And not to any end, just that it's pretty phenomenal. And, you know, I I just love the way that, like she described, it's just like this, like a celebration. And it's not looked at as like, you know, um, in some countries, like women will be literally like shunned, like they can't be around anybody else. Or like, you know, just thinking about like, um, you know, (sighs) genital mutilation is really something that has always been, you know, just, just horrific for me. And I had some friends uh, in college and stuff that uh, were from Africa and we talked and, and my one friend did this incredible piece about it, but it's just, it's so, it's so strange and, and, but also so um, profound to hear it be talked about that way when you feel something and you've never been able to feel supported by that. But, um, so I guess, you know, with it being almost an hour, I guess what I'd like to ask you is, in your opinion, Jess, since you work so closely in being on the front line of things changing and what we can all do, like what do you see as like um, things that everyday people can do to change and make things sort of better? What what are ways, little ways if you can't, um, you know, like really afford to help in, in a monetary way, like little ways that you can do to help support the work that you're doing and also just generally like I think a lot of people are kind of stopping and listening and then sort of like, you know, not sure what to do next. You know what? I'm sure there's little things that can be done all the time that can help a lot. And then bigger things like how can we help support the work that you're doing? I mean, I
1: think in the most basic way, understanding that People are the authority on their own identities. Yes. And you know, to sort of stop the I mean, I know I'll use the example as, as an you know, an indigenous person like that kind of experience. People all the time tell you you're not what you are. Yeah. And they tell you you don't exist. And they tell you that you must be from of some far off place. You must be from Arizona. Um, a lady once said to me, how did you get this far east? And I thought, oh, my God, how did you get out of bed this morning? Like, Honestly. So just understanding that people's people's experiences may be different from yours. And that is completely valid. And wherever you can, advocating for those people to to, for their own voice to be, you know, allowed to be heard. I think that's important. Um, you know, in, for all communities, you know, not just yeah. sections of, of my communities. Um, I think the more that we can do that, the more that we can understand that we don't all have to have the same experience and that we're all valuable in the community that we're in. Um, you know, I think that hopefully is the thing that that helps to create some kind of, or, or support some kind of empathy for other people. Yeah. Just knowing that, you know, other people have different lives than you have and, and uh, that doesn't make them bad or it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make them better than you or anything like that. It just makes them different than you. And that's
0: something you can always learn from. It's really important. So, so keep listening, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I I don't know if you're familiar. I'm on Instagram a lot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> talk. There's a man named, um, well, his screen name is Nos- Notorious Cree and um, his name is James Jones and he's based in Canada. Um, he talks a lot about being indigenous and sort of like reclaiming um, the things that they were, you know, not allowed to do, like the dancing and and his hair and things like that. But he also talks profoundly. It It really made a lot of sense to me that he's not here to educate people. It's not his job to teach you everything he knows. And I think that's a really good point about like people in sort of my position and thinking like, oh my God, like all this, all this, all this chaos that has happened, all this destruction, like how can I help? And I'm feeling this need to like fix it. So you don't have the guilt. Like that's not the answer. And it's also not anybody's job to say like, not what I'm asking you, like, how can we help, but more like oh, Jess, can you teach me everything you know about X, Y, and Z, because you're clearly knowledgeable about this. And that's so, you know, also just dishonorable to ask somebody because it's trauma too, you know, and like what he's working out with, with the, um with the influence that he has is kind of sharing really important information, but then to be asked like in such an ignorant way. And I don't know if you run into that a lot, but it would become really daunting. It happens to me about Pennsylvania Dutch stuff and it doesn't really, I don't know. It doesn't, it's, it's a little different. It gets to me a lot when people will ask me things about, you know, well, aren't Pennsylvania Dutch people all Nazis and stuff like that is really, is really tricky. But as far as like what he's speaking to, it's happened. (laughs) I know. Well, it's hard. Well, I mean, yeah, but, you know it's also hard to navigate when you kind of know that some people like you've mentioned with the with the plain people and the Mennonites, um you know and knowing having done some research about our history and the anti-german hysteria and sort of why like my mom doesn't speak punjabi dutch and you know my grandmother being you know i have people in her generation that um got punched in the face for speaking it in public school and can you imagine in yeah, our yeah. framework in our framework now where like since I've been a teacher, there's always been ESL class, there's always been support for English as second language learners, um, but then again, like, my, my first, my eldest daughter's father was um, native uh, Puerto Rican and and did not speak any English, and there was no ESL class for him when he was growing up, and there was no support for him, and, you know, just, uh, it's it's just changed so much, it's just wild, and it's good that it's changing, but it's also, like, are we just putting a band-aid on it? Are we are, are we actually really trying to change and make things better for these, these people and for all people? And and that's what I think it just comes down to like human nature um and trying to work better at being. I think the answer actually might be just mindfulness and why are you asking this person this question? Where is it coming from? Are you asking them to actually help or are you asking them to satisfy some kind of um uncomfortable feeling inside of yourself, you know? Right.
1: And, and yeah, are you, is it coming from uh, feelings of support or is it coming from feelings that you're trying to resolve? Yeah. And, and are, are you resolving your guilt about the thing? Yeah. Or are you helping them to find solutions to the problems that they want to solve? Is the thing. Exactly.
0: And where are they now? Like, are you trying to find solutions for people from like 100 years ago? That are just not relevant anymore because now they're in a whole different place. Like having taught in Philadelphia and like you know some of like the really tough neighborhoods, I'm like, people are so out of touch. Even teaching us in our programs in art education, like how we can connect to them, because really you're just so full of shit. Because the way you're teaching me to connect with them is so like they're not worried about their art class or their art project. They're worried about like how am I going to eat and stuff like legit? I would bring in like snacks for some of the kids. And it's just like, it's just such a disconnect from the people that do all of the spending and um, planning. And it's just, it's just so, so sick and so sad, but very grateful for organizations like the organizations you've spoken about, about definitely educating people and making people more aware and, and bringing together you know, there is ignorance and it's not necessarily because people choose to be ignorant. It's just, they've not been taught this. You know, the things that we were taught in school are just so overtly not the truth. And even now my daughter's in seventh grade, they haven't talked about contemporary topics at all this year. They're still learning about, and it's it has a place, but they're still learning about like Mesopotamia and stuff. And like right now is so important to learn about. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't even right now. It's, just, it's very tricky. So I think there it's, needs it, to
1: be. you have to make things relatable in, in the moment, you know, and I that think is. that's part of the part of the interesting thing for me to have a conversation about um, the intersection of, you know, native culture in Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania German culture is that mm-hmm. it, it is relatable. There are mm-hmm. parallels. They're not, a, you know, there's certainly not like, Pennsylvania German genocide, we're all still certainly here eating lemon and bologna and doing whatever, you know, but, (laughs) you know, it's, um, there are parallels there and there are lessons to be learned. Those things that have harmed us as, you know, Pennsylvania Dutch people, um, in the most recent past, um, you know, can, you know, could have easily escalated into the same genocides that happened to our neighbors. Ancestors, you know, yeah. And to and, and understanding our existence even before we came here to be in Pennsylvania and why we came to be here. I think there's a huge lesson right now in contemporary mm-hmm. society to understand why our ancestors left the place where they were. Yes, yeah. forever. Yeah, to come to a new place. And, yeah. and suffer all the hardship, hardships that came with it. And do all the horrible things they had to do to survive mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's not comfortable mm-hmm. to sit with, but, uh, you know, you, you have to do that. In order, to, in order uh, to understand at all what other people what other blind people are traveling for months and months on foot with their children to come to this country. Because you did it too, you know? You did yep, too. yep. So, yeah. Think about that.
0: Yeah, it's really true. And I think it's just funny just reflecting on our conversation. I come back to um, Todd Chrisley is always in my head with stay in your lane. And it's just kind of like, you know, I think making change in where I am able to is kind of also impactful and then opening up those conversations as well. Um for inclusion and getting people excited about it. But I always end most of my podcasts. I'm not going to lie, Jess. It's like, listen, this sounds like a really good children's book. We should work on it together. So I'm going to throw that out to you. <laughs> we should write a little story about it. And like, is there, is there any content out there for people to like, learn more about maybe what some of these relationships might've been? Like, I always see it in terms of a children's book and I just can't yeah. help it. I can't help myself. I've got like, that's right. Really cool. I've got like 10 projects going of like children's books to come up with from the podcast. But what is your answer to that? What do you think we should do it?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's a conversation worth having. It's, it wouldn't be my first children's book. So. Oh, tell us. Let's do the thing. Why not? What, what do you uh, have I, in I, your repertoire? <laughs> I illustrated a book written by a good friend of mine, um, Jamel Washington. Uh, it's called Enzy and the Broken Bandage oh wow i think you can still find it on amazon um i, I think probably if you google it you can find where oh that's look.
0: so cool oh my gosh i see a youtube video i'll have to get the links for that that's very cool very neat oh my gosh that's so cool so you think like that too because i'm always thinking like the kids are the answer like they're the ones we can still reach they're not you know You know, they're still, they still, they still want to make things good and 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 be good and and like. Well, I don't know. I taught in Montessori school, so maybe I'm thinking straight. But all the children I've experienced, I think it's possible.
1: Yeah, I think it's possible for anyone who wants to learn, really, and that's, that's I don't know about you, but that's my favorite thing about teaching. Yeah. Um, I love learn, and if I can learn something and give it back out to someone else who can use it better than I ever could, then that's my
0: favorite piece yeah. of change in the world. Yeah, me you know? too. I never want to stop learning, and also, I found the book. I'm going to link it. That's so cool, Um, and also, you know, I learned so much from my students, even today. Like, they're all especially the little littles, they just have so much like of a different perspective. It's really fascinating. So Jess, this has been more than what I imagined in my fantasy of how great this would be. It was so nice to talk to you and catch up with you and learn more about you and see your beautiful face and the beautiful color behind you. <laughs> I love all of the things going on behind you. Um, and thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I love that color. That's literally my favorite color. Oh, nice there we go. Oh, Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and um, taking this time to share all the amazing things you're doing and, and just keep up the work that I know is very challenging. And I hope you get some, some time and carve out some space to make some more artwork, you know, because I know (laughs) it's tough when you don't get that um, release. It's definitely therapy for me as well. So, and I always say it's like dancing with the ancestors, you know, it's like it's like yeah, I, I think of it, yeah, it's my first language. So yeah. It's like it's like ritual and it's like um what do they call that? Worship. It's worship to me. That's how I worship. It's like going to visit the cemetery, um, just being in Oli and absorbing the atmosphere and then also painting with the ancestors. It's definitely how I do my worship. Yeah,
1: very
0: cool. We should definitely have uh, more art discussions in the future. Yes. And, uh, yeah. A that. Oh my gosh, Jeff, anytime come on. I don't know how long this thing is going to go, but I've been really enjoying it. It kept me sane this past year um, and very thankful for the technology of it all. Good, good, good. So you take good care and max gut. Max gut.